Claire, are you ready? I was born ready. I was born ready. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be fun. You're listening to Girls Gone Wild. This is Joy. And this is Claire. This is episode 134. Doesn't matter how big it rang today. I thought you were saying 135. Oh, sorry, Claire. I didn't mean to disappoint you. <laughs> it's all right. I forgive you. <laughs> so I have to just say I'm like, my heart's beating out of my chest because I'm super excited for who we have on this week. <laughs> and I might fangirl a little bit. This week we have Andy Mitchell on the podcast. Before hi, we get to Andy. hi Andy, hi. Before we hi. dive into the fangirlness, we have to appreciate the lovely sponsors, Kalo, makers of the silicone wedding rings. Q A L O dot com. Claire's Valentine's Day. Are you getting Brandon another Kalo ring? Um, that's a great idea, Joy. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I kind of hmm. forgot that I have so pressure for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hope he's not listening. Um, but don't forget, you can now get your Kalo rings engraved. So on the inside of the band, they can put your initials or your anniversary date or you know a little message um, to your loved one or your gym BFF or your mom or whoever you want to get it for. And um, you can you can flip it inside out and wear the message on the outside if you want to, or it can be like your own secret little message on the. Inside. yeah um so those so are available secret. across the board now it's not just for valentine's day but it would be a great valentine's day present so you can use code whoa joy wait a, don't i don't mean to step on your line sorry <laughs> use code ggw for 15 percent off at k kalo.com that's q-a-l-o.com code ggw support girls and wild support the sponsor yay thank you guys all right let's jump into the interview andy mitchell is on the show this week hi andy again Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so, so thrilled. Let me do a quick bio so everyone can get to know you if they don't already know you. Andy's a 30-year-old writer, recipe developer, and author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, It Was Me All Along. And I read this book, I don't know, it was like a few weeks ago. And did I, you read it or did you listen to it? Okay, I listened to it. Andy, my husband <laughs> my husband gets really upset if I say I read a book because he's like, you listened to a book. So it's always very important that I make sure that I say I listened to a book. Um, I think it's – I uh, can I just tell you one thing quickly? Because when I recorded – so I recorded my own audio book. Um, and so that's what you listen to. You listen to me. Like, I know it was you. I know it was you. But it, I, And I want to ask, too, a little bit. Like, we'll get to that. I want to – like, what is it like? Where Like, where are you I, sitting? Uh, yeah. But, yeah. So I recorded it and, um, like, last – last year, like, you know, a fall ago, you know, not this past fall, but the fall before. But and once I did it, I have to say, and this sounds strange, having written a book, you know, and, and loving reading books, that I I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, I think this book is supposed to be like heard. Like it's supposed to be a, like a read aloud yes, book. Like, it I love I don't know. I think there's something strangely like it was very nice to to go through that process and maybe every writer feels that way after they do it just because it's kind of like a special experience to like have to go through it and you're and you just I don't know you go through kind of like a psychotic break after you do do it yeah (laughs) well I can't imagine like writing your memoir and I read a ton of memoirs and I was browsing through best-selling memoirs and I'm you know of course when you're reading something you're you're not really sure like by the title or by the you know cover and so I just 
read a few reviews of yours because it came up on one of the bestsellers. And I love when people read their own memoirs. It just feels like you know exactly the emotion to put into the words and it makes such a difference after I've listened to about 50 memoirs now. And I loved your voice. I was like, I just want to like listen to her talk all day. Just the way that you- Joyce is gonna be listening to this episode forever. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, I can like re-listen to her book if I want to. So, but your work's been featured on Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, The Better Show, The View, New York Post, Daily Mail, People Magazine. I mean, like the list goes on and on and on and on. So Andy, let's hear a little bit about you and tell our listeners who you are. Okay. So yeah. So that book that you're speaking of, it was me all along is my memoir and it just came out last, um, it came out in January, 2015, but it's, it's my life story. But I guess the sensational part of it, let's say is that 10 years ago I lost 135 pounds and, um, you know, I had, I had been overweight my entire life and I had struggled with emotional eating um, and, you know, having tried diets and, and failed them and, and, and gone on and off every plan in the book since I was in eighth grade and I was 13 years old. So I think, you know, writing that book is about so much more than losing weight. It's not just like a cover story or like I didn't just write it because I had this experience. I wrote about it because... Like, what is the perspective that you gain having been big? Like, what leads you to morbid obesity? What leads you to having yo-yo dieted? Why do you emotionally eat? What is, like, what have you learned in the 10 years since? And what was maintenance like? And so the book is kind of like my life through food. And the book is also dealing with um, a lot of realities, I think, about weight loss that I felt like people didn't cover when I had ever read about weight or weight loss or success stories or um, a lot of the the more vulnerable uh, and challenging parts that like thinness, um, that thinness wasn't what I thought it would be in a lot of ways um, when I had, you know, kind of pinned so many of my hopes and dreams on on this idealized version of like being thin and being perfect. And, and it wasn't all that I thought it would be. So the book is so I just want all that to say that the book is just so much more than than that. It's it's like my my entire life. But food means so much to me and has represented so much to me. Um, and so I wrote that book last year and it's, uh, it came about because I write a food blog and a healthy living blog. And I have for the past six years and, um, andymitchell.com. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you. That was where, um, that was what gained, you know, attention from book publishers. And like, I wrote a lot of posts that were you know, that had gone viral, luckily, in, in terms of like writing about my weight loss and kind of in a way that was not just, you know, the, the classic before and after tale. And so that's, that's kind of, that was the launching part. And so I still write it to this day. And so that's what I do. And so now, I mean, having had that book come out, I'm writing a second book, which is a cookbook. And it's all, you know, healthier recipes and recipe makeovers and things like that. But so that's me in a nutshell. But 
yeah, that book is my baby. That It Was Me All Along is really kind of uh, a, a big representation of my life so far. It's beautiful. And the the feeling that I get when I, re- when I read the book, when I listened to the book, Claire, is yes, you know, <laughs> just <make it> <laughs> how I really, I can tell how much, how deep your relationship was with food of how you write those words. And it comes across so clear of just, you know, how deep that runs that it's not just a cut and dry, oh, I was overweight, and then I lost all this weight. I mean, the story and I don't want to talk too much about the book, because I really want people to read it It is such a beautiful story of how complicated it is intertwined in your life and what it means to you. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for saying that. Number one, it's it's we all have a relationship with food, right? Like we all have food is a really central part of everybody's life. You know, we have to eat, we have to figure out how we're how we're going to do that to maintain whatever type of body you want to have, whatever health we want to maintain. Um, and for me, you know, I was born, um, I was born, I don't have a memory in my life or I didn't until I was 20 where I was not big or like at least bigger than everyone my age, you know? And so I always had this kind of sense of like otherness and, and I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that. But I also was born into a family that was like really, um, challenging like my father from the basically the time I was born was an alcoholic and um you know had lost his job and really struggled with depression and a number of things and was you know had like a really bad temper and so my house was really volatile and my mom had to work to kind of pick up the slack so she was gone a lot so food was like kind of the thing that I could a control in this really unstable environment and also a babysitter when my mom's not there and my dad's sleeping because he's hungover. And the thing is, of course, when you're young, you don't know that, but you're developing these like, you're developing these kind of call and response patterns with food. Like food is, you know, no one's telling you don't have a second bowl of cereal. No one's telling you like not to have a second cupcake. So you do. And so you go through, or I, I went through my whole life kind of, kind of cementing these patterns with food, like these unknowing, like when I couldn't deal with the traumatic events around me, like when I couldn't process them, I didn't recognize that I was turning to food, but I was. And in small ways, I think a lot of us do that. In, and it's like, it's conscious and it's unconscious. And at a certain point at 20 years old, I had done it for so long that I found myself like almost 300 pounds. And I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my God. Like I, I have to wake up. Like I can't, my weight has held me back from trying new things. It's made me self-conscious to a fault. It's made sure that I'm, you know, not confident. I won't ask out guys that I like, you know, it's silly things sounding now, you know, compared to the big things in life. But it's like, how much longer am I going to live in this way that I feel like I'm not able to be fully myself? I'm not able to like really live without some sort of feeling like I have almost like a disability. Right, I'm, affecting your quality of life. Exactly. And so I felt like this fire within me, like I have to change it now. And I think that's just what happens when you're ready to change. And so I I did, I, I guess I had enough 
I guess, motivation then to change my life. And I did. And of course, you change your life. And what happens is like when when you don't, when you kind of accustomed yourself or acclimated to to a world where food is your coping mechanism for everything, as I said earlier, like then, you know, of course I could like sprint through weight loss, right? Just thinking, well, I'll just diet down and then there's a finish line, right? There's going to be a finish line. I'm going to be done and then I can go back to eating. But you get to the end of that, that journey, that finish line. And the reality is there is no effing finish line. Like there's no time when you can just go back to food being your coping mechanism. So I had to learn really painfully how to deal with even sometimes really mundane emotions, like even really silly things. Like I had to realize like, oh man, like I'm going to have to learn that food can't be a pastime. Food can't be a band-aid. Food can't be the thing I turn to anymore. I have to deal with everything that comes my way. And it sounds so logical and rational, but it just wasn't then. And it wasn't, and it was kind of a big letdown that, that getting to that, fin- that, that kind of that thing that I thought was going to be a finish line and that happiness, that, that happiness that I thought that I was going to feel, you know, that like, okay, all my problems will be solved now. I'm, you know, I don't have to deal with being fat anymore. I'm going to be great. That it just wasn't like all solved. You know, there's like kind of a, a little bit of a disappointment there. And it, not to say that it wasn't great. Of course, there's greatness that comes there. But there's just a lot of, I think that if you chronically struggle with anything, there's a lot that you have to deal with. You know, you have to kind of reconcile um, your before and after. And, and I've so, heard but, you, you know, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. Yeah. Well, I've heard you talk a lot about acceptance too on other podcasts oh, yeah. as well. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that that wasn't completely embraced when you're going through that journey of when you're finding yourself thin and then you're going, but wait, I'm not happy. How did acceptance play into that? Like learning to accept myself. Yeah. Do you think like you were really, do you think you really had accepted yourself at that point? Like had you really gone to the place of feeling okay? No, no. It's so, it's like, it is taken, I think, I think acceptance is something that I had, I had yet to find, I, I hadn't found yet because I, I think even when I lost the weight, it was like, it was, I think I was still kind of like shocked that the external validation still mattered so much to me. Um, and then I was kind of saddened by the fact that I don't know, I guess this sounds so sad, but that I was kind of sad that my like approval rating had gone up so much because I'd just changed this one thing about me. Um, And it took a long time for me to realize like, and this is what the book, I mean, the book is called It Was Me All Along because there's a real tendency I always felt like for people who've lost weight and it could be, it doesn't even have to be with weight. It could be with like anyone who's like transformed their life in, in a kind of major way. Like there's a lot of people who are like, they lose weight and it's like, they're so much better after. Aren't they great now? And and life now is, I'm such a different person. And I, I can't even imagine what I was like then and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, it's like, I just lived 20 years in this, in this big body. And it's not like I didn't have happy days. It's not like I didn't form all of my memories there. It's not like I want to burn my baby pictures or like those 20 years not look wasted. at scrapbook. 
oh my god like those 20 years were where i i developed who i am and i mean even is, the cover I, of the book is this beautiful little picture of you as a little girl on the beach you know like yeah. right it's like the the thing that you realize is like maybe the things that we perceive as flaws like those things like the the way that i thought that like you know my my fatness had held me back forever or like whatever your perceived hindrance is or your flaw like maybe being fat like kind of made me say like you know what buddy kiddo you're not gonna get anywhere on your looks yeah. you're gonna have to work double time or maybe you're just gonna have to like i don't know you're gonna have to try to be funny or you're gonna have to try to be smart or you're gonna have to be... and not to say the people who have their looks don't have to try either because i kind of hate when people say that too because it, it feels rude to the other side but you know like i guess for me it's like maybe you develop some sort of intuition or maybe you're listening to some other part of you maybe you know so i just feel like we tend to forget the part that might have been born in that struggle. And that's really great. That yeah. is a great part of you. You become brave and you become wiser. And you, it, there's something beautiful about that. Andy, can you talk and a I little... And I think that's the part I accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. Can you talk a little bit about the time when you... I think you were at the why. Is is when you weighed yourself at the why the moment when, when you're like, I'm scared? Yeah. That was... I mean, it, so I was... 20 years old and I was you know I had come home I was a sophomore in college um and I had come home that summer like I had every summer and I feel like this is like what everybody does in college you say okay I'm gonna come home for the summer and I'm just gonna join the local gym or and you know get a little bit fit or tone up and go back to school you know feeling great and it's like I, I had done this before and it was so funny I did it with my best friend and it's like I went to the gym and we got a membership just for you know three months and um it's like I went into the locker room and I remember well I'm just gonna get my weight, my starting weight, so that I have kind of like a, a number that I can gauge so that when I weigh myself at the end of the summer, I can know, you know, how, how much I've, I've changed. And I remember standing on the scale and I don't know what I expected, but when I, I saw that the number was, it was 268 pounds and I never expected that. I did, I definitely didn't expect that. And I remember just getting into an absolute cold sweat because it's like knowing that here I am 20 years old and I've been trying to at this point, you know, I've, I've had doctors like my whole life say like, okay, kiddo, we've got to try to lose weight. You know, I've been, I've been trying to lose weight since I'm in the eighth grade at 13 and failing and I've never lost weight. I've never lost weight in all of those years of trying. I've only ever gained weight. So if I'm at 268 now, I'm saying to myself, I'm only ever going up. So I'm going to someday be 300 pounds. I'm going to be 350. Like there's just it, something's got to give. And I think that was what really just said, I said to myself, like, if I don't stop now, like I don't know when I will. And I think that it just, it hit me then that I couldn't keep going. And I think being that close to 300 made me say like, okay, you know, like, my dad was like, you know, 300, 350, close to 400. Like, I, I can't be, I can't be this person. This isn't the life I wanted. 
And I, I started, that was the day it was, it was the beginning of June and it was 2005. And that was when I started, um, losing weight. And I'll just, I'll never forget, um, just how uh, shocked and horrified and ready I was just seeing that number. Again, I think the whole story is so beautifully summed up in the book. So I don't want to go too much into that because I want people to read it. But I want to talk about black and white thinking. And I know this ties a lot into your upcoming cookbook, which is available in March. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Eating in the Middle. Eating the Middle. A mostly wholesome cookbook. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be available in March, uh, March 29th, yes, I believe. March 29th. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I know that you really tie a lot of the idea around the middle ground and not going into black yeah. and white thinking mm-hmm. into the cookbook. So we always talk about on the podcast, like black and white thinking. We've had eating disorder experts on the show talking about black and white thinking and how we get oh, yeah. stuck in that. So talk a little bit about that with your journey. And I guess anything that really sticks out for you of what you've learned about how to avoid that, because it's so easy to fall oh, into so, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's so like we're either because, like dieting oh, or we're eating like 20 mm-hmm. cupcakes. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's so funny because it's like, and I, I, I dare you to find someone who kind of doesn't feel like black and white thinking affects them in some way. You know, it's like, so I feel like for most people, it would almost be easier to tell them to go on a three day juice cleanse than to tell them to practice complete moderation for three days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think it's really, it can be really challenging. Um, the thing that I think I've realized with black and white thinking is that, I mean, this is like, I feel like after 30 years of chronically struggling with my weight, I have like a PhD in this, in this, in this line of work at this point, but, and all through like self-experimentation, but, and through talking to people, talking to so many thousands of people now about their weight and the emails that I get and the think, hearing what other people struggle with and what sets people off and what people struggle with constantly. But here's what it is for anyone who has struggled with weight or food and not even just being morbid obese, but just any measure of weight and food and, and just wanting to lose five pounds, 10 pounds, a hundred pounds. It's this, it's that we're either swinging between restriction or overindulgence. It's just that we're either on the diet or we're off the diet and we're eating clean or we're not eating clean. And we don't have modes other than that. And I feel like I only lived in those modes, probably even until like I think even until maybe like five years ago, even after I lost the weight, I had very rigid ideas about what was healthy and what was not. And and so when you're not eating healthy, you kind of have these punishing ideas about what what you should do to yourself if you're if you've done a, a bad job. And these labels that we give when we're when we've done anything, you know, quote unquote good or anything bad is what keeps us in this yo-yo cycle where we're either gaining weight or we're losing weight. And it's like, I picture it like this pendulum where we're like, we're swinging from one side to the other. And it's like our weight swings with us, our our mood swings with us. And it just caused me so much pain over the years. And I think having done that for long enough, I realized like at a certain point, I kind of convinced myself myself, if I could just, the myth was that I said, the only 
thing I need to get rid of, right, is the overindulgence. I don't need to get rid of the restriction. I need to get rid of the overindulgence. And that's the problem. The problem is the thought that you need to get rid of the overindulgence and that you don't need to get rid of the restriction. The thing is, it's the restriction that's really the problem. The restriction is what leads you to the overindulgence in the first part. Like that, that is the start of it all. So I feel like what set me free entirely was just saying to myself, I have to incorporate more of what I consider treats and what I consider like more like fun foods or indulgent foods for me or whatever your type of fun food is, because then I'm not tempted to binge. Then I'm not tempted to like go completely to the other side where it's like, because I've told myself I shouldn't have a cupcake, now I'm going to go have 20 cupcakes. So it's like eliminating the idea of restriction entirely has set me so free from feeling that need to like closet eat or to go overboard. And it's, I can't even tell you what it's, it's just, it's, it's like clearing the clutter of my mind too, of like having all of those labels that you have for every kind of food too. So I just, I think that's, that's really why I had to make a cookbook that's, that incorporates like 80% healthy recipes and 20% that are like, you know, some desserts that are richer, some desserts because you're not going to live a life that's like a pure, clean, pristine diet. I mean, maybe some people are. I don't mean to say like that no one should or that they can't. I just mean like the reality is if we can find that middle ground, we're all better for it. We're all saner we're all able to focus on things that like actually fill us up like relationships or things that we like to do creatively and we don't have as much of that like mental clutter that is focusing on like what we should eating what we shouldn't be eating and then punishing ourselves for doing something wrong or that we think we've done wrong yeah i have a question a follow-up question to that too because a lot of people so a lot of people will ask you and i bet you get this question all the time like how did you do it right Right. And so I think with that, okay, back to the black and white thinking, people don't really know how to do that. Like they can't wrap their head around how to do that. Is there anything that like kind of sticks out for you? To get you? rid of the black and white. Yeah, because like so... the middle is really uncomfortable for yeah. people. And you're it's... so right that people would so much rather if you were just like, all right, I'll eat, like, you have to just eat nothing but cantaloupe for 30 days and that's going to work. People would be like, all right, great, cantaloupe, I got this. But if you were like, no, go to a restaurant and just order you know, something reasonable and do that for the rest of your life. They're like, but can I just eat cantaloupe? Right. Well, the thing is like the cantaloupe, look, this, those like the, the juice cleanses, like the, the like ultra restriction, like they will work, right? Like they'll work for the set number of days you're going to do it, but then you're just on a streak. Like whenever I've been on those like hyper restriction, like restrictive diets, like where I'm like, I'm just going to lose weight for like 10 days. Cause like I've done really poorly and now I need to clean up my act. Like I only ever feel the sacrifice every day that I'm doing it. And I cannot wait until I'm done doing it. So then you're only like, I always just think, think of it as a streak and streaks always end. Mm -hmm. So like, you're never building a lifelong term. Like when you eat some, when you eat, as I say, like eat in the middle, I'm not trying to be like cheesy or cliche, but like to like use my own terminology, but like the, when you eat, like 
a diet that's kind of inclusive, like maybe you're going to lose weight slower. Maybe it's not going to sound as like cool as like a diet that's like, you know, eat 10 foods in 10 days and shred 10 pounds. Like, but at the same time, you're not going to be like white knuckling it until you can get off of that diet. And you're not going to not be able to go out with your friends on Friday night and like have to peruse the menu online for five hours beforehand to calculate the calories on every single thing that you're getting. You know, like it's just, it's a life versus like kind of like planning when you can get off the next diet. But the way that I did it was, I think A, first realized that you can't, the old way wasn't working. Like you really have to come to a place where you're like, what I was doing before, the swing, the constant yo-yoing, the constant swinging of like, sure, you can lose 10 pounds doing X diet or X eat clean, eat super clean or like, you know, for like a set number of days. Sure, you can do that. But it, how often is it followed up with you gaining that back? You know, like that's something I would I would say, come to terms with the fact that that didn't work and get really clear because your resolve is everything. And number two, I think the other thing I did was I acted as if, like I always think it's kind of like a measure of like fake it till you make it. And I would always see people and admire people who could eat moderately. I used to look at people who were like kind of these people that seemed like they were intuitive eaters or I would read books about people who were like intuitive eaters. And I felt like, God, that sounds like it's either made up or like they're lying, like they're lying or it (laughs) must be so nice. Like, but you can't actually do that. Like no one's eating two cookies a night. (laughs) No one's like really able to do that because if I really let my guard down I would just be a monster around food and like they don't know me I would I would go crazy you know and so part of it is like I decided that was the person I wanted to be I wanted to be the person that could eat a reasonable human being a normal (laughs) person of normal weight who could go to a birthday party in the afternoon and have a piece of cake and have a piece of pizza and then not have to go home and like binge at night because you've already screwed up by like midday you know like I wanted to be that person so I acted like I could be that person and then slowly when you prove to yourself one day that you that you could kind of fake it and be that person, then you're like, ah, I kind of felt good. Okay, cool. Maybe the next time you didn't succeed, but then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And slowly you start to say, like, maybe I could kind of do this. Maybe I could kind of get in the habit of this. And, like, after a while, you build up this sense of trust in yourself Like, it sounds like this, like, you know, you're like putting on a suit every day and pretending you're a businessman, but it's a little bit like what it is. Like, it's just like, that is the person you want to be. You want to be someone who can just trust yourself around food and live this inclusive, fun, kind of energy filled life with food. And it's, it's just like, it's such a great way to be. And I, I think, I think you should act like you can do that. And then you will be able to do that eventually. I don't know, Andy, if you know that I'm a therapist by day, like I actually practice therapy in my day job. (laughs) And 
so I feel like there's there's such a range of emotions that go along with this too. And a lot of people can do this in their daily life and it's not really, it doesn't run that deep. But I know for you, a lot of the emotions ran so deep just with your your family and all mm-hmm. the things that you grew up with. So at what point, and I know you talk about some of this in the book, but at what point were you really feeling like you had to kind of tie those two worlds together of really working on the emotional piece in addition to you know the diet? Oh, gosh, I had to do that. I mean, you know, while I was losing, I was able to, I lost pretty quickly. I lost the weight pretty quickly. And I don't know if that's kind of like a personality thing. I'm kind of one of those people who, when I've decided something, I've decided it and I'm and I'm going to do it, you know. And so I lost the weight in a little over 13 months. And I know that sounds so quick, I guess, but it's, so I lost all of my weight quickly. But you have to understand, I didn't know what afterwards would be like. And I think now that I know what afterwards would be like, I don't know that I would lose it that quickly, you know, because I just didn't, I didn't know. Again, like I said earlier, like, I just didn't know there was no finish line. Um, And once I lost the weight, I really found myself like, I know there's kind of like a people get uncomfortable when I when you liken food to addiction because I know that it's not necessarily an addiction in, in classic ways, but I would disagree I, with that. I would yeah, say <laughs> I, I would too. I would too in many ways. But yeah. I felt I have felt like writhing kind of right, right. food addiction in a lot of ways. But I don't know. So in some ways I felt like the the second I lost the weight was when I kind of felt like this, I, I bore like an immediate burden, like of all of the emotional weight. And I immediately, like, I mean, within the first six months of having lost weight, I had to like try, I had to enter therapy. I had to start working with a nutritionist. And that was when I kind of had to like start going through like almost like really like emotionally cleaning house and kind of just come to terms with like, wow, I've never had a normal relationship with food and now I have to I don't have to just work on it I have to build it like I you know I'm I'm starting from zero and so that was it was almost immediate and so I really spent the past 10 years working on it and I think one of the things I always want to stress with working on an emotional relationship with food is like I have a ton of perspective now and I can always kind of recognize when I'm using food for a reason other than hunger or fullness, you know, and I can understand kind of why people use food and I get all of that. But emotional eating is like balance. Like it's every day is the choice. Like every day, it's like an active practice. You know, it's not like, oh, you figured it out. Now you have the skill, you're fine. You know, it's like every day I wake up, I have to deal with choosing to stay in balance, choosing to not emotionally eat, choosing to work through something rather than eat through something. You know, like all of those things are still tested all the time. And I think that that's kind of something that gets gets challenging for any 
one who struggles with this, you know? I think you made a really good point earlier too of just the you know, it's, it's, it's so much about balance, but it's also an ongoing journey and it, right. there's no finish line and you coming to realize that. And I know there's a part in your book where I don't know if it was your therapist or your nutritionist, you called at one point and they're like, Andy, can you just not binge today? Right. And you, exactly. that was a really, really big moment yeah. for you. Yeah, it was. And that's the thing. It's like, because I think another, it's just a, it's very overwhelming kind of to think about, how much longer am I going to have to keep working on losing weight? Or how much longer am I going to have, like, whatever my current pain is or the current anxiety I have? Or what's going to happen on Sunday when I have to go to brunch with people and I don't know what to eat? Or, you know, any kind of pain or struggle you're having, it's so easy to get, like, mired in, like, your past worries or your future dread or whatever you have. And I think whatever I can do to focus on just the present moment, like what's going on right now? Can you just get through this minute, this day? Can you do the best right this second? And it's such a freeing way to go about it. It's such a freeing way to do it because then tomorrow, whatever comes, we'll deal with it then. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But if I can just get through today, even if I have to white knuckle it sometimes, like that really freed me up from kind of feeling overwhelmed and having more anxiety attacks than I was probably already having. So on, you know, if you've been doing this now for several, several years, how many days like that do you still have? Are you still, you know, having full entire days where you're having to just sit down and say, if I can just get through this one day and like you said, kind of white knuckling it, or have you finally been able to kind of find a point where you're at a homeostasis with your habits a little bit more? You know, nowadays I feel like I'm, I feel pretty good. I will say as someone, and I write about this on the blog, I think that I do struggle with depression. And depression is just one of those things that it's like, it'll just sometimes come out of nowhere. I mean, it'll seem to come out of nowhere. And maybe if you can trace it back, once you're coming out of it, you can kind of see the roots. But so my desire to like binge eat these days will be tied to the times when I'm depressed or when I'm really anxious. Like if I have like a big book deadline or if I have like a huge, like a presentation to give or something important. And I can often kind of link them. But I think mostly I feel like there's not a lot of those days now, but they, I have to be honest that they will come. Like they will come and I never, I will never say never. I just don't, I really, um, I'm very against the, uh, the kind of, uh, free from like the, the kind of recovery speak from eating disorder recovery speak and like addiction recovery speak where they're like, I'll never have it again. No, all set. You know, that's just, I just think it's a dangerous way to speak. I think it, it goes against my belief that like every day I wake up and I, try to do the best I can with everything. It's like, it's just with absolutely everything I do. I try to be a good person tomorrow. I'll try to be a good friend. I'll try to eat well. I'll try to exercise well. I'll try to do everything well. But like, I, I think there still will in the future. I'm, I'm just, I'm sure that there will be days that I will feel bad and my inkling will be like, oh, you know what? I, sh I, I want to eat, but maybe I need to work on this. But and on the whole, I don't have a whole lot of them, but I know that like, if I get really low, I'll probably, my, 
my my inclination is always to eat. It's funny because that's like that's something that's like from childhood, like never goes away. And I've said this like before, but like whenever I start to feel like any measure of discomfort, like my first thought, like before I even have like a really put together idea about something, it's always like, oh, am I hungry right now? Like it's always that. And it's, I don't know that that will ever go away because now it's been like 10 years without actively trying to eat when I feel uncomfortable, but I still have it like every time. So it's a funny thing. Like, I don't know if that's just because I've trained my brain since I've been so young. But yeah, it's interesting as you're saying that because I'll just share like my personal reaction. After I read your book, I went to your blog. And I of course, like started like cyber stalking you because I was like, I love her so much. Um, And reading, (gasps) reading your website, reading your blog, uh, andymitchell.com. Everyone needs to go check it out. I'm thinking like, oh, you know, tied up with a bow story. And oh, look, now she's engaged and all these beautiful photos and look at her beautiful life and look at these, you know, pictures of this beautiful food. And in my mind, it's like that natural urge to have like a happy ending of like, oh, now she's got it all figured out. And I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that kind of like read the blogs and we 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 project our feelings or our right. need to have everything be perfect now. And mm-hmm. it's just such a good reminder for all of us that that's right. just not life. Like life is not, right. you can make all these beautiful photos and yes, you're in a much right. better place now, but that you still are a human and you deal with these struggles and it's an ongoing and back to your, you know, it's all about the middle and it's all about there's no finish line is such a good point. I just don't want to, like I actively, it's funny because I, thank you for saying that because I really, I just don't, I don't, I think about it like this, like, you know, the people I have, like, if you ever, if you read any of my posts and you read like the comments, like the people who comment on my blog posts are like, I swear to God, it's a, it's like the kindest people on earth came these posts and just decided to comment they are just the it's like the the salt of the earth and I think about it like I I think they come and they comment because for anyone struggling like you don't want to talk to someone who has it all figured out they're they're entirely perfect they're never going to make another mistake in their life and they're, you know, they're going to like give you some advice from some, from like a pedestal above you. Like, no, you want to talk to a friend. Like, You want to talk to someone who gets it, who's been through the mud, who like is on your level. And I, I hope that people get that like I'm, I'm, I'm certainly going to have struggles. Like I'm certainly like who knows what happens. Like if I have children someday, like who knows what's going to happen, you know, like. I don't know what's going to happen if I like struggle to lose baby weight. I mean, who knows? I I just would never, I just don't like to say never because it just seems like a, it seems, I, I think it seems dumb and it seems ignorant to the struggles that other people have. And I want to, I just want to relate to people and I want people to, and I also want to be honest because we're all, because even the people who seem to have it figured out, like, don't you think everybody's struggling with something too? You know, like, that's the other thing. Like, I just feel like we're all like, I, I think it's, it's really what makes it harder for people is that 
people are giving off a per, uh, like a, a presentation of like perfection and that we're all doing really oh, well. Absolutely. And so I think like that's the thing is people want to find the person that's got it figured out. And I think we're drawn to right. that. And that's why I immediately caught myself when I was looking at your photos and reading your blog. I was like, oh, the success story and she's got it figured out now and yay. And I'm like, well, no, we're all human and this is an ongoing thing. But that feels good for people to see that because then it brings out their own journeys going, well, how can I achieve that? Which is great. It's great for inspiration, but I think the inspiration needs to be, hey, everybody, jump on board the imperfect train so we can all figure this out together. And also like that finish line mentality, you know, like even you said that it would have been, you know, it, it was so much easier to start back when you thought there was a finish line. And so people can, you know, look at you and be like, well, she had a finish line. So, you know, this isn't going to have to be something that I'm, like, it's definitely daunting to think this is something, this is a journey that I'm going to have to start and never finish. Right. And that's the kind of thing, like, I feel like the way I eat now, like, just like the kind of like eating with like a really inclusive mind, like to include so many different types of foods and not really having the labels, like, I just, it's like so much kinder to myself. Like I'm so much kinder to myself. I'm so much more accepting of myself. I'm not as hard on my, like the way I speak about perfection, it's like, it's, I'm like talking to me as much as I'm talking to anybody else. You know, like it's just, I, I just wouldn't have been as hard on myself half the time, you know, like knowing what I know now. And I think that I, I just, I wish I could have gone back in time and said to myself, you get farther if you accept yourself first. You know that, right? <laughs> you know, like, it's just because you do. Like, totally. if you could just, if you can accept yourself, you can move on when you make a mistake. But it's if you over. don't, yeah. you get stuck in the mud and then yeah. you like, can't ever forgive yourself. And then you're like, you need to be punished. Yeah. So then you continue to do the bad thing because you don't deserve goodness. And it's just like a cycle of like insanity. And I'm just giggling because I can so relate to that. But and it like seems so straightforward. Like just accept yourself. I know, and that's like an impossible thing. Yeah, Yeah, Andy, do you talk about it every day? Do you read any Brene Brown? Oh my gosh, do I love her? Okay, yeah, (laughs) she is fierce. Yeah, she's She's fierce. I love how she said recently in her book Rising Strong that regret is keeping us from learning important lessons or no admitting that we we don't have any regrets so people saying oh i don't have regrets about that yeah. she's like everyone has regrets <laughs> you mean to tell I mean, me that, yeah that's what we're saying about the perfection thing yes exactly like i love that like you know this reminds me of i was just talking to um i was talking about uh, a family friend the other day and she was saying she was like you know it's just balance is really hard like some nights of the week i feel like i'm killing it and i'm eating really well and then like but, you know, half the nights I feel like, oh, I don't know, like I'm not making the best choices. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm doing okay. Like, and I said, I think that's what balance is. Totally. Because I think, like, honestly, I think that that is what balance is. Like half the time you think you're killing it and half the time you're not sure. That's what I think we should just put forward. Like where none of us are doing it where we're like, killed it today, killed it, <laughs> crushed it five, six, seven days a week. Like, no. Right. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I think that's just like, I think if you didn't think that like Margot Robbie was amazing every day of the week and she was like able to eat cheeseburgers five days of the week and like could have a milkshake on Sunday and still have an amazing body, like you wouldn't be so worried. 
about why you can't. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there's like so much the idea that like other people are doing it better than you and easier than you is crushing you slowly. Or not so slowly. Or not so slowly. Or, or, or really quickly. <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> okay, Andy, I have a few more questions before we start to wrap up. How do you surround yourself with support now? I know you have an amazing fiance, Daniel, who is featured in the book, and you talk a lot about that relationship. But what else is, uh, is important to you for support and your support system? Good. Um, I support myself by, well, I have really good friends. I have uh, really close friends that I've had for all of them, like well over a decade. And they're really great. Um, I have best friends, three best friends that I've had forever. And so I contact them all the time and I love them. Um, So they really help. My mom is a huge support to me and my stepdad. Um, So people, people really really matter. Um, I think I find a lot of support like in podcasts, honestly. I feel like it's it's really nice. I know it sounds like I'm like, just trying to cheer on your podcast. <laughs> I, mean, we're fine I mean, we're okay no, with that. I find like I... I find a lot of um, I find a lot of inspiration and like daily motivation by listening to podcasts. I think it's like a really fun way to like feel inspired and like you you can listen to a podcast on literally whatever you want with any type of person or personality and feel like you have someone who kind of gets what you're going through and that's really nice. Um, I I try to take some time and like go for a long walk and like just be by myself every day um, and and not be on social media. So I know that's like a, an alone time thing, but that's really important to me. And then I think with the work that we do, like it's um, just being like online and, and um, you know, so connected to devices. It's like very important to me to get like face to face time where I'm like connecting um, in person. So I make sure that like once a week I get together with people I love. So friends, probably not my best friends because they don't always, they don't live nearby, but I will get together with friends that I love and, and just, you know, kind of get out of my own head. And that's like a really important way to do it because I think like there's a lot of problems that come with like the narcissism of like, I don't know, like social media and I don't know, this whole, the whole like world. The comparison traps. Yeah, you can kind of get immersed in that. I think it's kind of nice to get outside of that. Yeah. And books and things like that. But yeah, I, I think that's helpful. You're in Jersey, right? Yes. I have family in Jersey in South Plainfield. So if I ever come visit, can I meet you? Um, Yes. Yes. Can you come immediately? Yes. Come on. So, like, what are you doing this weekend? So, like, what are you doing this weekend? Tonight. Like, come on. I would love it. And I also want to talk a little bit. This is such a great story in your book about how you met Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, Oh my God. This is, like, the first thing Joy was like, so we're going to have this girl, Andy, on the podcast. She met Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) So neat. It's such a cute story. It's so great. But okay, we don't have to tell the whole story. Because again, I want everyone to read this book immediately, (laughs) if not sooner. Meaningful story. It's so it's such a weird thing. You know, so okay, it's we my family really loved Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's like, (laughs) what's that to love? It's really weird. It's like we loved him for so long. Okay, so my dad and my mom and my brother and I 
we really started to like, we we're a huge movie family. So we've always gone to the movies. Like I've gone to the movies since I was a literal infant. And I mean, I've seen, I had seen every R rated movie, like well before I ever should like in the theater, my mom had no scruples. And so, and still doesn't, you can record that and share it with her. She, so I, um, but so we started watching like Leonardo DiCaprio, like before, like he was like popular with like Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. Like we loved him in this boy's life. We loved him in like what's eating Gilbert grape, like all of these movies and growing pains. He was cute and all of these things. Oh, so, so really cute and growing pains. So cute. Right. And so, um, my dad always thought he was like a good actor, like for a young kid and whatever. And so anyway, my, the, I'm going to tell the story in a short way. I know, but it just, it will make more sense if I tell it kind of this whole way. But so anyway, my dad died really tragically in 1997 and at the end of 1997 end of November and Titanic came out in December of 97 and my mom and I went to the theater and saw Titanic like everybody saw Titanic a million times but my mom is not the type my mom has like a mild ADD ADHD whatever and my mom and I saw Titanic 22 times she saw it I think 23 and we literally we saw it like in a desperate way like it wasn't like we saw it for the fanness we saw it in this crazy way it was like really weird and that was the 97 and then years later so you guys dedicated like three days of 1997 to oh my Titanic. god no it was it was but it was bizarre we would go on school nights at like oh. 10 I mean we were crazy right, it's not a short it, movie no it was very weird and so it's like years later like in 2008 like Leonardo DiCaprio came to Medfield, Massachusetts with Martin Scorsese, where I'm from, that's like my hometown, to film Shutter Island. And I brought over, it was like I had just graduated from college. I brought over my resume to like the production office. And I was like, look, I don't have any experience, but like if you ever need a PA, I would love to work on it. So I worked, I ended up getting a job on the film. And long this is one of my I, favorite parts in the book, just, by the way. Yeah. I got, I got a chance to meet Leonardo DiCaprio by like he had this like champagne and oyster party. And of course I, he did. I, I know it was so fancy. I was like, so, I was wearing like gap shorts, like a loser. <laughs> like I walked in, I had like these frizzy curls, but I walked over to him and I was like, I, cause I knew I was going to regret it if I didn't. And I was like, do you, I was like, I introduced myself like a crazy person. And he was so nice and so handsome. And I asked him if I could take a picture with him. And and the person took a picture and he, they were like, this is going to be on the cover of the, all the gossip magazines tomorrow, the latest Hollywood couple. And he literally went, da na 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 Like he <laughs> was acknowledging that it was going to be on entertainment tonight. You were his girlfriend for like five minutes. It. It was, oh the, it was basically like the moment of my life. But, and I remember so now you can do, my you mom can just die happy. After. Oh my god, I was dead. I was absolutely dead. I was a melting. Oh, so great. And I called my mom after and it was just really sweet because it's like, I don't know, it was like we went to see Titanic because it's like, I, I say this in the book, it's like, it was like, I think it let us like cry even though we like didn't know how and because and, it was sad and it was like three hours where we could just zone out and see something that like took us away from like our lives. And so it just meant more, to, it sounds insane, I totally get it, but it meant 
such a weird amount to us. So like Leo was tied to like the kind of like, in a way, like the way that we grieved. And so he meant so much to us. Yeah. And, and it was like, it's such a special, like me and my mom thing. And so meeting him like meant just the world. That's amazing. And it was so exciting. And so I like love him to this day. Like we're, we still like follow him like crazy people. Oh, like when I, I got that. engaged, my mom was like, I mean, this is, you know what this means though. Like he's, someone's <laughs> going to have to tell Leo. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. Okay. I love that that's your thing with her because that's something only you two will ever understand truly. So great. I'm so sad we have to wrap up, Andy. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. So you can you can find Andy at andymitchell.com. You also have a TED Talk. Oh my gosh, I do. Yeah. I really... And the book can be found where? The book can be found. You can find it like it's on my website. There's on the sidebar. You can see it, but you can get order the it was me all along on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, on IndieBound. You can buy it in Target and all the bookstores nationwide and Hudson News, wherever. Um, it was Eating in the Middle, my cookbook. You can pre-order that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, um, and Target. And that comes out March 29th. And it's going to be a really nice cookbook. Oh, it's I can't wait. Really Great. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. That's Andy Mitchell, A-N-D-I-E-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L.com. Order her book, Eating in the Middle, a Mostly Wholesome Cookbook. Yeah. Follow her on Twitter. We get, you have Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? That's Andy M. Mitchell. Andy. So two M's in a row, which is a challenge, and I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> did someone, did someone <laughs> steal it from you? I had Andy Mitchell on I've had it somewhere, but then the other one was Andy M. Mitchell because someone else had, yeah, someone I think did take it and I was, I should buy it. You know what I, I know. should try? Buy it from someone. Take it back, man. I swear. Take, take it back. Tonight. I know. It's really, <laughs> I think I've read on your website too, not to change the subject, that you want to start a makeup YouTube channel. Oh my, so bad. Can we start I one know. together? Because I am like dying. Do you? Oh. Would you do this with me? Oh, I love makeup more than anything in the world. Like, I will spend three hours at Sephora. No problem. Oh, no. my. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. I'm we so glad that you guys can do this together because should. Joy keeps trying to, like, talk me into it. And I can't even Claire watch has no Sephora interest. at the mall. So Claire won't go into Sephora. And I need someone to help me with my <laughs> Sephora problem. <laughs> Have it. And the, the thing is, then it would be like, is this a tax write-off? Because it's kind of business. Can we expense this? <laughs> Can we make this a business? I no, need I'll some go. more lipstick. No. Yeah. This is real. Yeah. Um, I would love to do this. And then All we right. can just branch it out. We'll branch it out into a lifestyle segment. All right. Taking over yeah. the world. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Oh Thank you goodness. so much. Thank you, Andy. Right. We love you. And uh, listeners, go check out her books. And remember to support the podcast by visiting qalo.com. Get your Kayla rings. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.